Uh, you know that this podcast has begun when you can hear dogs barking in the background. Is that, are your feet tired or are the dogs barking? <laughs> my feet are tired. My, my feet are tired and my bones have this weird thing where it sounds like a dog barking when they're yeah, tired. Yeah, it's a clicking and I can't afford to go get it checked out. I'm hoping it kills me before I... I'm the reason that that expression exists is because I have a rare bone condition <laughs> that my bone, my feet bones bark like dogs when they're tired. I also have a Charlie horse that lives in my thigh or <laughs> the calf? stable, the stable of my oh, calf. Oh, calf. Yeah. I'm mostly made up of animal parts. You're a Frankenstein of animal parts. Yeah. Much like a Frank, a hot dog. <laughs> is that where, is that why they call them Franks? Because it's like made up of different dead Frank things. Con- yeah. They, it's a, it, Mary Shelley was a real, uh, <laughs> a real hot dog. Head. She's a real hot dog. Head. She's from Chicago, you know, uh, she just carry a, uh, you know, her lover's heart in a bag walking around the streets of Chicago, just trying to catch a comedy show <laughs> or a jazz concert. Yeah. Anyone know where I can get some celery salt to put on this? I'm dying for a hoagie. The bears. <laughs> Does anyone know where my pizza can be deeper? <laughs> well, this is LA Meekly. If you couldn't tell from the hot dog discussion, obviously it's LA Meekly, but even more obvious, this is a Los Angeles history podcast. We know nothing about Chicago. What state it is in? I forget a lot. This state of, state of the bears. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm talking about a state. Look at the state of the bears. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, geez. Wait a minute. Yeah, the bear and the bears. The TV show, the bear. Oh, I, I haven't seen it yet. What is it with Chicago and the bears? Anyway, we're here to talk about LA Meekly. Have you been a, a state where there are bears? Yeah, California. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're the bear. We're the bear. Hey, we're the bear. And at the end of the day, we are the bears. We're the we're DeBear. So uh, this is Daniel Zafrin, DeBear. I am Craig Gonzalez, DeBear. <laughs> I feel like anyone who's smart would have turned this off 116 episodes ago. hundred. So one before yeah, we one even before, started? Yeah, one before we even started. Well, luckily, the people who listen to us are historically stupid, which is why <laughs> one thing we want to talk about... <laughs> <laughs> let's jump right into what we did in the past month, yes, Greg. Let's do that. Let's talk about something that all of our stupid listeners came out. They're to. so good looking, but they're not very smart. <laughs> so what did you do in the past month of May? Well, you, sir, were invited by My Valley Pass, and you brought me along as your plus one, your oh, date. Wait, yeah, no, I forgot. I was the one who's supposed to talk about the thing with the stupid fans. Yeah. Okay, so let me talk about our stupid fans. Okay. Talk about our stupid fans that are, I, I need to reiterate, so good looking. Every single one of them, a looker, a Paul Newman, a, a Grace Kelly. However. Uh, <laughs> so in this past month of May, since I, I you know what? As stupid as our fans are, I'm even stupider because I forgot that I was the one who was supposed to be talking. We had a live show that we, we were a part of with LA Not So Confidential and Holly Weird Paranormal. Both great podcasts and great people. We had never met. Really stupid though, right? <laughs> <laughs> really unqualified. Um, uh, we, oh, we, wait, no, I'm talking about us. Oh, yeah. Really unqualified. We had never <laughs> hung out with the doctors before, Shiloh and Scott, but we, we had talked to them all over Zoom before and then we never hung out with Tammy and Bryce from Hollywood. So like the six of us hanging out together for that brief period before the show was a lot of fun. We were all... To reiterate who didn't make it out, it was at the Heritage Square Museum. We got to sit in an old church. It was very midnight mass. Yeah, it was. There was even a giant half-melted candle. It was. 
that yeah. I insisted we light and they insisted was a fire hazard. Yeah. They, just because the whole place is made of wood. Yeah. Oh, whatever. There's a river down there, right? Just toss the whole thing into the river. The Arroyo Seco, the famously wet Arroyo Seco is right there. It's a roaring a roaring a, ro- a roaring seco a, a royal roaring seco sure it's a freeway now but <laughs> we talked about the doheny murder and no. we'll release that audio when the rights clear yeah when the dust settles when the black ips gets off our back oh my about God. it yeah so we should probably address that that for some reason like the show couldn't start on time because for some reason my microphone <laughs> out of six microphones out of six microphones was playing a Black Eyed Peas song. I need you to do another take of that, but just say Black Eyed Peas with less disdain this time. If you could, if you have it in you. <laughs> they were playing the Black Eyed Peas? Oh, that's how oh, you said you it. You want me to say something with less disdain for the people who sang... What do they even sing? They sang... Run in, run in, and run yeah. in. Run. What, do they, what do they do? Well, once Fergie was on board... I, is Fergie... Well, obviously, Fergalicious is a Fergie song, but was it a Black Eyed Peas and Fergie song? Oh, wait a minute. It just so off supersonic anyway. So, like, I, you want me to say it with less disdain when there's a song called Fergalicious, sung by Fergie? Um, yeah, actually, I do, <laughs> if possible. You want me to apologize to Will I Am and uh, uh, various other members of the Black Eyed Peas <laughs> and the rest? Yeah, and the rest. <laughs> Yeah, your microphone was playing Black Eyed Peas, and we were like, well, how is this happening? And we're standing outside, there's just, we're just like sitting under the shadow of a giant radio tower. I'm like, it's probably that. <laughs> but why would my microphone be picking up? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't like, make any sense. It's ghosts. It, it, it was very, very strange. Yeah. The show went well. Yeah, Everyone did. enjoyed it. And best of all, uh, I know we famously refer to them as our stupid fans, but... They're also loving. They're loving and they're intelligent in a certain way. Uh, (laughs) They have emotional intelligence. But there were a lot of people who came who like LA Meekly and came up to us after the show and it was so nice. Yeah, it was very nice. It was was very touching. Like it's Mm -hmm. we haven't done a live thing since uh, the failed Earth Day of 2020, which didn't happen. But before that, when I don't know when we last did a thing. Our Halloween thing was 2018, I think. So five years ago. Five years ago was our last. So we don't have a lot of face-to-face interaction with each other. Yeah, it was nice seeing Daniel for the first time in five years. Yeah, I mean, we do record together in person, but I stand behind a black curtain so yeah. Greg can't see me. It's we're, indecent. We're orthodox that way. <laughs> we're, a lot of people don't know we, we record in a confession booth. Um, <laughs> Daniel says it's, it's for the sound quality, but I feel like he's actually not. <laughs> and I wear this pig mask for also for sound quality. Yeah, yeah. and the saw guy, Jigsaw's here, and it's just he's just like editing it and just making sure we... <laughs> That's why they call him Jigsaw. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was... all the people who came and talked to us after the show and if you were there and didn't talk to us after the show it was really nice and we really appreciated that yeah thanks for filling up the room it was very nice of you guys to do that yeah that was i don't remember anything that happened except for black eyed peas and Mm. talking to nice people nice but dumb people after the show Yeah, it was very nice to to get to see everybody. Old faces, new faces. It was a lot of fun. And <laughs> Jigsaw. And in and, yeah, and Jigsaw. And sometimes you have to cut a face off to get a key to let yourself out of a bathroom that you've been handcuffed in. <laughs> old faces, new faces, old faces that are your new face. <laughs> we'll be releasing that in a month or so because we covered a version of the story we're going to tell today, a, a shorter and slightly different version of yeah. the story. But after the live thing, we got to go on the haunted tour mm-hmm. of a couple of the buildings at Heritage Square. And that was really 
really fun. Yeah. And you should, if you get a chance, go to Heritage Square. Yeah. And they have a lot of events there. So if you have a chance, go to an event and maybe you get a ghost tour out of it. Yeah. Maybe you can do a live show at Heritage Square too. And just so you know, it seems like it's a long street without parking, but then there's a dirt path to your right. And that's the parking for Heritage Square. Apparently. Just so you know yeah. ahead of time. Because I didn't know that. And it, that has caused me to not go to Heritage Square. It was like, <laughs> there's no parking and the street's making me claustrophobic. But it wraps around. I'd like to talk a little bit about a certain concern of mine that is watching A New Hope out in the cold. Okay, so we are now switching to what Greg was going to talk about, which is also something we did together. We spent a lot of time together this past month. It was nice. It reminded me that we used to be friends. Uh (laughs) Hang on. Hang on. Let me adjust this crucifix here in the sound booth. I think we're getting a little bit of feedback. My Valley Pass would very, very great. Instagram feed and event hosts. Organization. What are they like? They're an entity. They're an entity. You're right. They're an entity. I mostly know them. They're the entity. They invited us to a showing of A New Hope, Star Wars uh, Episode 4, A New Hope, in the yard where ILM used to be in Van Nuys. Van Nuys. Off of, like, with, like off of Sepulveda. Valjean. Valjean. Or Valjean. Valjean. Ha ha ha. Lame as reference. But it was really great. And a lot of people were dressed up. And uh, we saw Jawa and it made direct eye contact oh with God. us. Oh, my God. Yeah, dark- th- it, that, was, that was eerie. I don't think that per- whoever was in the Jawa costume... Yeah. Jigsaw must have gotten to them because they did not have a face. It was just glowing eyes. It was eyes. just glowing eyes. And a good distance away from us so that Jawa shouldn't have been hearing us say, look, it's a Jawa, but like <laughs> a slow like Nosferatu <laughs> turn and then just like direct glowy eye contact. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's it for me, pal. It was really cool to sit in like, because they had old pictures out of, of when they were making the special effects for Star Wars. Yeah. And you could see like, oh, I'm sitting right here and this is where the trench run of the Death Star that we're watching on screen right there was yeah. happening. It was. It's really great. It was a little cold that night, and I had to. I came to the realization that I love Star Wars, but I love being warm just a little bit more. (laughs) And if I was willing to trade a a jacket to never have seen any Star Wars movies, I'd be like, yeah, that. But um, that's not the situation. So it was a great time. And check out my Valley Pass because they have a lot of events. Yeah, they do a lot of this sort of thing. I know they have a whole summer movie series coming up in like Balboa Park or something like that. But. And they, they've been known to show Back to the Future, too, I think. At uh, times, they've been also, known yeah. to dabble in Back to the Future. They dabble with time travel. But I want them to go, like, just set up everybody in the driveway of the house, of Marty McFly's yeah, house yeah, yeah. in Arlita and just show Back to the Future there. And then uh, George McFly comes and yells at us like we're Biff. Oh, so confident George McFly yeah, confident, comes out. Yeah, future. Uh, he hits Biff. Now my valley pass. Yeah. Don't con me. Don't con... <laughs> What we meant was we're only going to watch the first two. Did I say that we're going to watch the whole trilogy? (laughs) Sorry, Mr. McFly. (laughs) Why would they still be talking? (laughs) Why would they be pals? They seem like they're pals by the end. What? You're not friends? Well, just because I punched you in high school, (laughs) we still talk. Friends? (laughs) Yeah, we're pals. You know where I park my car? You used to be my biggest bully, and then you tried to make a pass at Melissa, and I broke your neck. And now we're best friends. And now we're best friends. And now it, it brought us closer together. Yeah. Breaking your nose brought us closer together. Uh, but that was a good time. So check out My Valley Pass and check yeah. out, you know, Heritage Square Museum. Go to Heritage Square and check out all of our intelligent fans. They're so smart. I, I got a note from corporate. I should yeah. stop calling them stupid. They're not very good looking, but they're also smart. So now that we've talked about May, let's talk about the greatest month of all. June. Yay. Everybody loves June. 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 The month of the summer solstice, right? No, the summer equinox. 
I don't. I already messed up Equinox from another podcast. I don't need. Yeah. To, I need to spread it amongst two. June, home of June gloom. <laughs> the other day, it was kind of muggy, like it was cloudy, but still kind of warm. And I thought, oh, this is my favorite type of day for horror is muggy days. I don't know what it is. Muggy it makes, days mm-hmm. makes you wanna. Yeah, so it's June. Hi, welcome June 1st. So this let's explain what we're going to be talking about for this June. Since we were doing research already for this live show about the Doheny Mansion, we thought we'd go all in yes. on that stuff that lives underground, and we're not talking about the mole people. Not talking about the lizard folk. We're not supposed to bring them up. So we decided to do a whole episode on the story of oil in Los Angeles. Because we've talked about it as like when we did the Doheny Mansion murder a long time ago, we briefly talked about it. We brought up oil a little bit in the Venice Venice, episode too. And you've talked a little bit about when we talked about like pre-Spanish stuff. Like you you started way back in the Pleistocene era. Yeah, I I just wanted to, I mean, we were, Ali Not So Confidential was covering the two deaths at Greystone. So we thought it was our responsibility to cover Doheny and how he got rich in the... It would be irresponsible if we didn't cover It would be irresponsible if we talked about skateboarding (laughs) when they were talking about a double murder. (laughs) So yeah, I'm going to get us started. Since you'll be talking about the big boy Doheny, I'm going to talk a little bit about what happened pre-Doheny. Pre-Doheny? You can talk about the 100 or so oil wells before he came along and looked at the car and was like, I got it. Uh, yeast heaney. <laughs> you have dough heaney and I have yeast and flour. Yeast heaney and his wife flour heaney. <laughs> I have six pack heaney. He ripped. Go ahead. Yeah, ripped it. Doughy heaney and rippy <laughs> ripped heaney. Uh, Houdini. Uh, so, <laughs> so black gold, Texas, Texas tea, Clampett's delight, La Paya tar pits, Jurassic jalopy juice, a 60-foot Gilder Gusher, Daniel Plainview's Sunday special. Oil. That's what we're talking Extra about virgin. here. Extra virgin. Extra virgin. Like Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Double pressed like Greg. <laughs> so as we've kind of talked about in the past, the yes. LA area was rich with prehistoric animals all the way back to the beginning of time, Adam and Eve. <laughs> so all of Adam and Eve bones turned into precious goo that fuels my Hummer today. <laughs> but if you believe in evolution. <laughs> if you want to listen to what Gavin old news so much. Uh, if you want to go through your family photo albums and say, this chimp here is my grandpa. <laughs> what? Suddenly I can't talk about Grandpa Slappy? Or, <laughs> what's a good chimp name? <laughs> uh, grandpa Coco. I, yeah, guess. I guess that's the, cute. the typical. Yeah. I, I guess Coco the movie kind of stole that from chimps though. Anyway, so uh, if you want to get technical about this, it was animal bones from the late Pleistocene era and early Holocene eras. <sighs> that really where that comes from? What? What we're talking? Where, 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 yeah, it's wait, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. What are you asking? Where oil comes from, or what era of oil? It- I thought you were saying that bones crushed up makes oil, which made no sense to me. Okay, so you are confused by the obvious thing. I mean, it's yeah. not crushed up bones. Yeah, the I can bones that. decay and whatever. I mean. I'm no expert. I thought that Adam and Eve was the beginning of time. <laughs> but dead animal bones is what oil becomes. Okay. From millions, hundreds of thousands of years this ago. This is very much like um, in drawing books where they're going to teach you how to draw a portrait of a face 
in four easy steps and the first one is just drawing a circle and the fourth one is having a complete portrait right and i'm just like there's two steps i'm like <laughs> Where oh okay there's a missing step here there's like two missing steps that i'm not gonna ask you I'm ever sc- heard of the missing link huh you think the missing link is in my photo album? Bigfoot's bones. <laughs> I'm talking about Bigfoot's bones. Where is the elephant man in my family tree? If you have to ask, you're the elephant man in your family. <laughs> I am not an animal, Greg. Yeah, it's so the bones. Look, we have listeners who can explain this better because I'm going to take they your word smart. for it. Because no matter what you tell me, where did wait? Where did you think oil came from? Then it was just I like just thought it was inside of the earth, seepage from the crust of the earth. I don't know. Just like the earth, like you thought the earth was deep dish. Were you in from Chicago? I thought it was a gusher. (laughs) Gushers. It's a gusher. If you squeeze the earth hard enough, oil will come out because that's the earth's blood. (laughs) That's what I thought. I thought it was just like crust goo. Called it earth blood. Here's a dumb question. You don't have to answer. Is extra virgin olive oil the bones from extra virgin? Go ahead. I'm just kidding. I thought you said this was a dumb question. Yeah, that's where all the Vestal Virgins. <laughs> yeah, the Vestal Virgins. We've virgin. been drinking them. We've <laughs> drinking them. We've been dipping our bread in them this whole time. So the Keech and all the other tribes in this general area were aware of the surface level manifestation of these biblical bubblings. So they would see what we call tar, starring Kate Blanchett, and would skim it and use it for adhesive and sealant purposes, like waterproofing and things like that. Yeah, I feel bad forever because you know that that was eventually what they did with it. But at first, like, I bet it tastes pretty good. I that looks let's dip our bread in that and then after a couple dead ones they're like oh let's find another thing to do with it is this extra virgin (laughs) yeah I was wondering the same thing of like someone must have like dropped a basket and like what is yeah yeah what's this what's this yeah (laughs) but like yeah I I wonder at what point they realize like oh this is good for this yeah I yeah it does look good it does look good yeah I mean I wouldn't mind you know like if I see a a cake that looks that dark I'm like oh that's gonna be extra sweet you know I could see myself like doing a fondue sort of thing with it of like I've I've got all of these Native to Los Angeles uh, bananas and pieces of cheese. Yeah. I'm going to stick this right into this delicious looking tar. Yeah. It's just so spreadable. <laughs> the incredible spreadable tar. <laughs> so there were certain parts of town where seepages were larger, like in the Fairfax area, which mm-hmm. we'll get to a little bit later. But another such area was way up in the mall city of Los Angeles. Santa Clarita. Oh, really? In particular, in the hills between Granada Hills and Newhall, which became known as Pico Canyon for the reason I'm about to tell you, but is now known as the Santa Susana Mountains. Right. So, like the, you'll of course recall the Aliso Canyon Gas Lake. Right. That area is rich in natural gas and oil because of Adam and Eve's bones. So as the legend goes, in 1865, two guys named Jesus Hernandez and Ramon Perea were hunting either a deer or a bear in this area when they stumbled upon a particularly gooey seepage. Who imme- There's a lot of gross words when you talk about oil. Seepage, gushers. Yeah, fracking. Fracking. Fracking is a nasty little word. That is a nasty <laughs> Fracking is a little word for little perverts. Little per- <laughs> so these two guys, Ramon and Jesus, they immediately brought this ooey sticky icky <laughs> to the guy who owned all of the land in the area, Andres Pico, the brother oh. of Pio Pico and the guy whose house we once did a different live show in. A different live show there. So now, still according to the legend, a guy who was staying with Pico at the time was his nephew-in-law, a Civil War surgeon named Dr. Vincent Gelchich. Yikes. Civil War surgeon. I know. His medicine shelf is... Uh, a it's just a saw. It's different saws. It's saws and whiskey. 
That's also his plan for a Friday night. (laughs) So this guy had experience with refining oil in Pennsylvania and identified the crude and showed Andres Pico how to refine this stuff using a copper pot and a, quote, worm. I don't know if this is some oil lingo or if it's just exactly what it sounds like. Like, I don't know if he's like, take all this stuff, put it in a copper pot, throw a worm in, yeah. and... The worm absorbs it. A little it. bit of elbow grease. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it like a plumbing snake? It's not a real snake, it turns out. And I... Hang on. All of these, like, r- uh, boas yeah, start boa, coming yeah. out. <laughs> Got- he's on to us, boy! <laughs> Get him! <laughs> we had a good thing cl- <laughs> going. We had a good thing going here. All we have to do is get all of his hair out of the drain every once in a while. And he gives us all the mice he wants. Yeah. And he, there's a lot of mice a in here. A lot of mice. And he doesn't turn us into belts. So, yeah, I don't know if, like, literally they're just throwing a worm in. Like, I, I have no idea what this means. And no one explained. Like, yeah. in all the stuff I was reading, no one explained, like, okay, before you start laughing, yeah. a worm is actually this chemical. <laughs> right. But also, at the same time, no one said, like, can you believe it? A worm. <laughs> Like nobody either way was explaining it. So I'm just going to have to take it at yeah, maybe, two it, face values. Two face value. worms have two faces. Yeah, yeah. It, it must have been in the time where it's like, I have a headache, get a leech. Like, Yeah, that's what, like, it could make total sense either way. Yeah. So worms and crude, that's a, in a copper pot. As long as you've got, I mean, the copper pot's the hardest thing to find. <laughs> so now, according to this legend, this one that I've just been telling you, Andres Pico was fueling his home by burning oil he was harvesting from the New Hall area before that technology otherwise spread wow. out. Out really? to California. And if some of the stories saying that this was actually happening in 1854 are true, that's before oil refining was even a technology like, yeah. in the world. That's crazy. But again, this is legend, worms. Yeah. I don't know. Magic worms, magic. copper pots. Jeez. <laughs> oh, there was also this other thing. They had these beans that grew really tall. And that's where Capitol Records building came <laughs> from. Stole it from a giant his record collection. There were three blind women who would stir this copper pot. They call it a cauldron, but that's outdated. Three blind women is a, that's what they used to call ladles. So in any case, people believe this story enough and claims, claims like claims. Yeah, get it. Yeah. Started being made in that area by organizations with grandiose names like Los Angeles Asphalt and Petroleum Mining District and the San Fernando Petroleum Mining District, which I'm sure were just guys with shovels. Yeah. And poetry. It, that title is pure poetry. I know. The sort of beauty that only a man with a shovel could kind of come up with. <laughs> a man with a shovel and little imagination. And a worm. Yep. <laughs> I came out to California with a copper pot and a worm, and look at me now. Um, the worm has like a monocle on Yeah. I don't know if I can help you. I gotta, I'm going to talk to my worm about it, okay? But I'm going to tell you right now, he usually says no. But I'm going to talk, talk to the worm. I'm thinking of branching the company off into two, and he just cuts the worm in half. And- <laughs> oh, no, my competition. <laughs> So all this, it drew in some of the Pennsylvania oil people hoping to strike it rich again out west. Also, this stuff in the Santa Susana Mountains. Mm. But this little mini boom turned into a full-fledged bust quickly because nobody really found anything worth digging for in those hills. Uh, them are hills, sorry. Yep. Their best one was producing about 12 barrels per day, which is kind of, I mean, I'd take it, but that's kind of nothing. Yeah. Until September 1876. A guy named Alex Mentry with the California Star Oil Company drilled the romantically named Pico Number no. 4 oil well. And this one, the first one in the area drilled by steam power, hit literal pay dirt. Whoa. This one started spurting out 70 barrels a day and became the first commercially productive oil well in the Western United States. So this was in 
Newhall. Wow. And sparked the great Los Angeles oil boom. This is where it all began. Yeah. Pretty soon, the Newhall area had over 200 wells that were producing over 180,000 barrels a year. Whoa. This helped grow the area of Newhall and also a town called Mentryville, named after the guy who started this. That's now a ghost town that you can visit. Oh, wow. Right okay. in, right just on the other side of the old Aliso Canyon gas leak. Just it, plug if, your nose. If you manage to make it on that side of it. Have fun at the Gopes Town. <laughs> so to handle all this oil, California's first oil pipeline was built in 1879 to stretch the seven miles from Pico Canyon to a refinery that was set up in Newhall. Pico Number no. 4 oil well was made a National Historic Landmark on November 13, 1966, and was in operation until 1990. Damn. So this is where it all began. But Greg, who perfected all this pillaging of the earth in Los Angeles? Let's talk about... One of the faces that's carved into the Mount Everest of Los Angeles fathers. Yeah, he is. That's why I wanted to do this because we've talked to, like, we, it's been a while since we covered, like, a pillar of society yeah. of Los Angeles. The problematic heads of LA fathers, William Mulholland, Harry Chandler, William Parker. What's wrong with these people? And Edward Doheny. Yeah, all white men who instilled their will in the city and were living with the repercussions to this day. Edward Doheny is maybe the, I'd say, one of the founding fathers of modern Los Angeles yeah. because of what he did. Uh, he certainly changed the physical landscape of he the did. city. Yeah. So let's talk Gave about... Gave it acupuncture. He drank the milkshake, if you've seen the movie. And I made that reference to Ada, who has not seen the movie. She's like, mm, milkshake, it's cool. What? Huh? <laughs> oh, we, so it's like an Archie movie? He made like In-N-Out? I, you know, the more, since we've been doing all this research and constantly quoting milkshake lines, yeah. which is only one... It makes me want to watch There Will Be Blood again. Like, I feel like I need to see it again. I've heard more people in the last year say it's not that great, but I think it's one of the best movies ever made. One of the top 10 of the last century. But yeah, go ahead. Take your time with it. Uh, I got to rewatch Land Before Time first, <laughs> which is the prequel to There Will Be Blood. But um, did, how did the oil get there? That, this, that's what you should be watching to understand <laughs> oil a little bit. But we saw that movie together, didn't we? We did. I don't know if that was the one where you had, had a, a hot, hot dog, dog in, in my pocket. pocket. Yeah, yeah, it was, right? And I was happy to see you. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Yeah. And yeah. then we saw... No, no, no. That might have been... No Country for Old Men. No Country men. for Old Men. No, we did no, no. similar things. No Country for Old Men. I had a hot dog in my pocket. There will be blood. We went and ate burritos off the... The hood of one the, of our cars. The trunk of my car. Yeah. Saying, what does it mean? What does it mean? Oh, right, right, As we right, were right. Eating yes. sloppy burritos on the trunk of my car. Romantic. One of the best <laughs> nights of my life. When the moon hits your eye like a sloppy burrito. I remember you liked No Country for Men more than you did There Will Be Blood, and I was the opposite. Right. And we were like maybe about to like throw blows over it. And now they're like, I'm, I, I love them both as my babies. They're both my children. <laughs> Edward Doheny was born. Oh, and th by the way, this is. I've added some more stuff in, but this is a lot of what I said for the live show. So I'm giving you the opportunity to interrupt all the times that you didn't get to before. Right. Yeah, I didn't. That We were talking about that. I didn't interrupt much at the live show because I didn't want to set up. I didn't want to. I already made us late by playing the Black Eyed Peas. Yeah. I insisted on playing the Black Eyed Peas. It's it's the way that wrestlers enter a ring by banging a song for everybody. You <laughs> had to do Black Eyed Peas. I want the 12 inch cut. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't interrupt much because I didn't want to a make the show go longer than it did and yeah. also interrupt the flow of not only you but two other podcasts yeah 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 that would so here we go a little i've got notes <laughs> edward doheny was born august 10th 1856 a third of five children his grandfather michael had been involved in the famine rebellion in ireland in 1848 which shows how tough the irish are i didn't know you could rebel against the famine 
Anywho, the Doheny's fled Ireland for Canada when Doheny's father, Patrick, was a teenager. Patrick, Doheny's dad, went into whaling and hunting seals in Baffin Bay, which is awful. Don't hunt seals, which is how Patrick... <laughs> oh, but whales, all the more. Well, however many whales you can catch, take them. Oh, my God. You always take the whale. You read Moby Dick one time, and you always take <laughs> the big monster whale side. Um, Greg's an orca. <laughs> but his dad lost an eye while hunting whales and seals. When one eye to Patrick meant Eleanor, the two moved... Wait a minute. Is he Captain Eyehook? <laughs> He's Captain a- AI. <laughs> Captain NI. Yeah, NI. <laughs> <laughs> the two moved first to New York, and then after having a two boys, they moved after that to Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. A year later, Edward was born. Edward Doheny was... The romantic city of Fond du Lac. Yeah, Fond du Lac. Like Fondle... Edward's childhood was fairly normal aside from the fact that he himself requested to start school sooner than most. He asked permission to start school at the age of four. What? (laughs) I think that from everything I could tell, he was somebody who was like... This is Edward Doheny. Edward Doheny wants to continually like, I want to be a grown up. I want to be... It seems like from the reading anyway. That's so weird. Like pushing himself to make money from the age of four. Mummy, I would like to go to Harvard today. Mummy... I would like to drive the car today to McDonald's. As a teenager, when many of his students his age were leaving school to start jobs, Edward kept attending classes while also taking a part-time job at a sawmill. He graduated high school at the age of 15 in 1872. The California gold rush had happened 20 years earlier. The Civil War had just ended six years before that, before 1872. So the idea of the West as a place of golden opportunities and no historical hangups you know, that they knew about, was th- that was going on people's minds. Like, right. Civil War just ended. The North and the South had just, like, blown each other up. The West is like, let's just start going West because there's yeah. no, like, trouble there. There's only... But they didn't know about the trouble here. <laughs> we call them the Troubles. <laughs> They came all the way from Trouble Europe. Young Edward took his adventurous spirit from his father and at 16 left home to find success in whatever form that would take. At first, it meant odd jobs, which included door-to-door salesman, mule driver, fruit packer, gunslinger, singing waiter. Okay. And there's rumors that he was a pimp and murdered a man in Loretto, Texas, which shows how hard it was to be a singing waiter in Texas. Okay, you can't use your same line from the show, unless you're going to use the ones I wrote. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not only I deleted them, I double deleted them. <laughs> so I forgot what they were. I wiped my I hard drive. Yeah, I wiped my hard drive <laughs> and I wet it. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I installed a virus in that one part <laughs> that the line was on in the hard drive. But I didn't get a chance to interrupt you in the show. Yeah. Singing Waiter in the 1870s? There's four songs. <laughs> and two of them are skipped to my loo. <laughs> Did somebody order the she'll be coming round no. the mashed potatoes? Like why why was uh, your family was murdered? Where? A decamp town Ray says, and then he starts singing. But why like I, I don't understand I, like I feel like now I need to know the history of singing waiters because I Yeah, s- singing waiter in eighteen seventy two sounds very dangerous. And like how would you get around? Like walking around? <laughs> what? Like like everything's so far apart. <laughs> Singing, wait, why would a singing waiter need to walk? Oh, singing waiter. I'm sorry. I, for some reason, thought it was the same thing as a oh, like a, a like door a telegram, telegram, singing no, telegram. no, no. A singing waiter is someone who literally is like, a singing waiter. Yeah, have you been to a restaurant? Like, I've been to a restaurant once where it had singing waiters. Like, is he like he jumped up on the like it's like Coyote Ugly? Like, did he jump up on the table and was like, staying alive, staying well, alive? You've never been to the Rio Casino before, they'll be serving you drinks and then they have to oh, stop they? and then they have to get on top of a bunch oh of slot God. machines and sing and, uh, and then they get back down and you're like, um, actually, uh, I wanted to 
Jack and Coke? Um, <laughs> he must have worked at Coldstone. He and must have worked a, him a, a tip, tip okay. and then he would have to sing. Yeah, he'd have to sing a song while looking like there was a gun to his head. <laughs> That's just, I don't understand how there was singing waiters in 1870. Well, that makes more sense to be a singing waiter than a singing telegram person in 1872. Um, no, I think the, tel- I mean, at least telegrams existed. Like there were waiters in 1872. Sure. That's just as shocking to me. You've never seen a Western before? You got to go to the, you got someone's got to bring your crap to the table and they're probably a prostitute. Well, maybe that's where his pimping came in. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's just when he was the manager of the restaurant, of the singing restaurant. I don't want to bother my girls right now. I'm going to... They're busy. What did did you want? Oh, what did you want? Um, (laughs) What did you want? Yeah, all of the stuff he was singing was like Beethoven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All of it was set to uh, In the Hole of the Mountain King. (laughs) I will bring your drinks right now. (laughs) I've been waiting weeks to say that. It it just didn't... The idea of him being a singing waiter is... It just I, I wish that me. this was still a live show because every time I'd hit a fact, I wanted to point to the photo like him, like this dork with the mustache, with the, the big <laughs> funny mustache, was sleeping outside in the wilderness with a gun right. in his hand. Him, this guy, this singing waiter. An interesting thing I read that didn't make it into the live show was that 11 years after leaving home, Doheny decided to finally write back home to contact his family, but there was no one there to receive it. His father had died a few months after Doheny left home. His mother and sister passed away several years later. His older brother was unaccounted for, and the younger one died while he was still at home. His one remaining brother was living in Chicago and either did not receive the the bears, uh, (laughs) was living in Chicago. That must have been where he killed the bear. He either didn't receive it, the forwarded letter, or chose not to answer it. And then Doheny waited another 13 years before heading back to Wisconsin. His entire family roots were all but gone. I'm not sure what's so impactful about this to me, about all of what I know about Doheny, but it makes me think of in There Will Be Blood when a guy comes to Daniel Plainview and says, I'm your brother, why he receives him so well. I, I wonder how lonely this guy was. Yeah. And how much of a lonesome figure. Like he he has a family and starts a family and then loses many people in that family later. I often wonder how lonely most singing waiters I see are. And the answer is invariably very. <laughs> very. Now they're doing fine. Yeah, it, it sounds like a... Uh, because, spoiler alert, his daughter dies, his son dies, his first wife, after they get divorced, right. kills herself, dies. and then he dies. Yeah. Uh, so it's like a, like a life of death. Yeah, well... Most lives are, I guess. Uh, that's the life of an oil man. That's guess, the, and that's the life of a singing waiter. That's the life of a gunslinger. <laughs> a few years out in the mid-1870s, Doheny found himself mining in the Rocky Mountains, hunting for gold and silver. That hunt took him to New Mexico at the Black Range Mountains north of Lake Valley by the 1880s, where he and four partners made some actual money. At this point, Doheny was strictly a prospector. He himself wasn't mining at all. He would just like find land, which was silver. He'd put claims on it and then sell you know, the claims off to people oh. at high prices. So he wasn't at the time mining. Oh, like, I never even put that together that a prospector doesn't actually do the, the dirty work. I guess you could do both but yeah, i think like, that oh oh so you're a prospector miner oh prospector <laughs> you're not a minor prospector you're a monster you're, you're not a you're not a young prospector. i'm a singer songwriter and i'm a prospector miner yeah, i'm a prospector miner yeah I, when i've read like oh he's a prospector he's wearing yeah. the flappy pants and he has a pickaxe a pickaxe and he has a big beard and yeah, uh, i guess he just he's just a guy in a suit with like a a watch fob and he <laughs> says i will i shall there, lay claim yeah. there there <laughs> there 1882 and 1883 were both very good years for doheny putting thousands of dollars in his pocket as he continued to to look for the big bonanza as these bonanza boys call it is that and what they called it me and ada went to virginia city it was uh, silver mines up there and that they had uh, this group of four men who had mined successfully and built 
Virginia City basically and they're called the Bonanza Boys. And like <laughs> Bonanza is just the word every tour you go to. Like, well, the Bonanza Boys hit the big Bonanza. Uh, according to journalist BC Forbes, most nights Doheny slept out in the wilderness with his faithful rifle at his side, his six shooter ready for action, and a hunter's knife at his belt. I kind of laugh at this, but the years we think of as the Old West was literally at this point. Like many people consider the Old West to be between 1865 to 1890. It's 1883. Like, this is the Old West. Like, you're sleeping next to a wagon. There's, like, cowboy outlaw murderers. And that was sort of like, it's like major cities now where there's, like, that's a bad area where a lot of crime happens and this is kind of a safer area. It was like that in the Old West. That was America. Yeah, that was America. All of America was like that. America was the bad neighborhood. (laughs) You can go to Canada or Mexico, but America's kind of the bad area to be in. You don't want to be in America after dark. But this was it. And he was sleeping alone trying to, you know... Did you watch Buster Scruggs? No, no, I didn't. Uh, but I've played Red Dead Redemption too. Is it anything <laughs> so like that? So I know that? how dangerous it is. <laughs> I mean, you got to save before you go to sleep. I know that in the Old West. If you're going to be going from town to the mountains to fight a tribe, you're going to need a horse because walking's going to take, yeah. it's going to be like actually walking. Then. You, you might want to go to the Ubisoft online store and buy something. Yeah. But the, the old prayer, like they would kneel at bed. If I die before right? I wake, <laughs> I'm glad I saved my progress. <laughs> <laughs> Mother and father in the the doorway, arms crossed, being like, yeah. "He's a good boy. He's a good boy." And the, it's Zelda and uh, Link. Um, it's glad I remember their names. Or I, a blow dart would have hit me in the neck right now. <laughs> Edward Doheny, who would one day be one of the richest men in the world, was at this point spending his nights out in the pitch black desert wilderness, gun in hand, not sleeping, waiting for unfriendly Native American tribes or regular American troublemakers to stumble upon him. That was how he spent his nights. Like it was, it, he was a stocky, choleric man, and didn't seem to be a rough and stocky, tumble. choleric man. He had cholera. He they called him choleric in the oil baron of the southwest it's what does like, that mean he has cholera maybe probably has cholera yeah okay but he was you know the tall kind of like i don't know if stocky was the word i think lanky from, oh, he's choleric he's choleric he wasn't like a rough and tumble outlaw character it's a kind of amazing he comes out of those days unattacked or well he might have killed a man in laredo texas yeah so. well maybe that he <laughs> oh, 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 we didn't know you were a singing waiter oh, and oh. They, <laughs> that's right <laughs> <laughs> drop your pitchforks <laughs> notice i said unattacked and not unharmed while mm. working a claim in New Mexico, Doheny slipped and fell into an open mine shaft and <laughs> fractured both his legs. This put him out of the game for a month or so, but this would not be a time of inactivity. Doheny used his downtime to study mining laws and soon became the leading authority on mining law in the country. He even took the bar of New Mexico and was a qualified lawyer on the subject. Hmm. So this is a guy, before he even gets to what we know him for, already smarter than most people right. doing what he's doing. He knows how to sue anybody. He, can, he knows where the book is. You know, the book or you pull off the shelf and you're like, I know a court case that's going to, the judge is right. going to love this. He knows the book. <laughs> In 1883, Doheny moves to Kingston, New Mexico, where he meets Carrie Luella Wilkins, whom he marries in August of 83. The next year, baby Eileen joins them. Also in Kingston, he meets a fellow prospector named Charles Canfield, who would become his future partner. But at this time, Edward worked on developing his own claims. He invested with some partners in a new mining company and extended himself as a manager of a few mining outfits. But even doing all this, the Doheny's were teetering on the edge of poverty for some years in Kingston. And also, I I didn't add this in there, but I know that he was bored. He was just wanted to be out in the field, but he was starting a family and you couldn't do, it was hard to do both. (laughs) And you see later in his life that 
he thinks he can have it all. He thinks he can go out and prospect and also have a family who doesn't see him for months at a time because he's out prospecting and mining and dealing with. So he loses that family basically because he wants to be a rich guy who's doing the stuff flow. He wants a family too. Obviously, we see why because his family is pretty much at this point. This is when he starts realizing, oh, my entire family that I grew up with is gone. Nobody remembers me as a little baby. So I'm all alone. So he has a draw to both sides, but you can see clearly that he picks being rich. Now, is this in There Will Be Blood? I don't remember. Does he use the cattle blower thing to find oil? Which I'm getting, am I getting mixed up? Uh, I mean, the blood is the oil of a human. So yeah, Anton Sugar for sure finds the oil. Um, I'm going to hit you. I'm going to strike you. Um, After many failed ventures in New Mexico and heeding the advice of many partners and pals, including Canfield, in October of 1891, Edward Doheny decided to pack up and chase the gold rush to California, the gold rush that had happened 50 years earlier. He didn't bring much money with him. In fact, like by the fall of 1892, Edward Doheny was flat broke when he gets to Los Angeles. Absolutely no money in his pocket. And that's the he's going to, in a few years, even like by the end of that year, be one of the richest men around. <laughs> but he did bring a wealth of skills and practical know-how that would be invaluable to his future venture. So he doesn't have money, but because of all of the mining, silver mining he's done and claims and mining laws... All that is just sitting in his head. So by the time he finally gets to oil, what do they say? That luck is when preparation meets opportunity? Uh, I wouldn't know. (laughs) I'm none of those three things. I I mean, we want to go back to Lincoln Zelda, that triforce (laughs) of uh, what we're talking about here. I have none of them. When the opportunity would arise, he would have enough know-how in his brain to know what to do with finding oil, finding tar in the ground. In Southern California, as you had just stated, oil exploration had been going on for at least 30 years before Doheny started digging around L.A. By the 1880s, there was 100 oil-producing wells operating around the city, probably in New Hall, I would imagine. A man named W.A. Goodyear wrote a report for the California State Mining Bureau in 1888 listing every known oil well in the state. This would be Doheny's guide, and his fortune was truly thanks to this report that this guy wrote, like just stating this is where all the oil is in that was another thing that was like, oh, I know how to operate based on this map, knowing where to go and where not to go, basically. Doheny and his family were living in a cheap hotel on the west side of town. I'm not really sure where. And one day he saw a wagon with the wheels covered in an oil-like substance, what we now recognize as tar. He talked to the driver and found out that... Hey, what we now recognize as an Oscar-winning performance. Oscar, almost an Oscar-nominated <laughs> an performance. Oscar- an Oscar considered but never really <laughs> expected to win performance of Tar on the Wheels. Oil. No. <laughs> so he talked to the driver and found out that the material came from a spot near Westlake Park, which we now call MacArthur Park. Uh, okay. Something funny's about to be said. <laughs> Certainly this wasn't deleted. Something funny's about to be said. Doheny went over to Westlake Park and saw the oil coming out of the ground. Do you want to say the line? Uh, hang on. Let me get in oh, sorry. I, I haven't been on stage in a while. <laughs> Hang on. <clears throat> my mother-in-law. <clears throat> my mother-in-law. My, mother-in-law. My, mo- my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law. My mother-in-law. My mother-in-law. So, Take my wife, please. So, <laughs> I just flew in. I just flew in. I just flew in. I my just arms in. are tired. tired. My arms are planes. No. My arms are planes. <laughs> so uh, normally uh, I mean, he, what he discovered that this was at MacArthur Park was black tar. <laughs> <laughs> 
normally there's just black tar heroin there. Bring on la.socom. And that's how it went at the live show. <laughs> and that's my recreation of Sunday night. <laughs> I wrote that line. Uh, for anyone who laughed there live at Greg saying it, let's give, you know, Greg and the big studios are always trying to take away credit from the writers. <laughs> He's sort of a, um, not Alan Sherman. What the hell is uh, Dick Van Dyke writes for uh, Alan not, Sherman? Is it Alan? No, Alan Brady. Alan Brady. Yeah, I'm Alan Brady and you're Rosemary. <laughs> Rosemary. Rosemary, Not thank Rosemary. you. Rosemary. Thank you. I'm the one who's made to type everything up, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did that line, uh, a much better version of that line um, that I, per- I perfected. I just put my sauce on it. My unique perspective, I just put on that. Uh, and people laughed and I wanted to... It's not that funny, guys. Come on. Guys, come on. It's not that funny. The walls started shaking when, <laughs> when that line was said. Uh, a flash of Beatlemania. <laughs> yeah, people ripped up their yeah. seats. The haunted dolls in the back started screaming as well. Yeah, those haunted dolls were... I looked over once and saw them. Like, Don't look at them again. <laughs> they were quite scary. Doheny saw the black hole and supposedly he knew he was going to make a fortune from it. Through the years of him working different fields and seeing how different industries with the heavy machinery require oil and fuel, he knew this substance could be sold. He knew that it could be refined to produce the more valuable petroleum oil and here it was bubbling up from the ground is there still oil uh, tar seeping up in macarthur park well i mean no no, hang on my mother-in-law my mother-in-law my wife my wife my wife wife. wife. hi my wife hi my wife do i make you horny baby (laughs) (laughs) is that what's happening in volcano um well that's a volcano (laughs) explain the difference to me now i thought oil came from volcanoes Wait a minute. Are volcanoes not just dead dinosaurs? <laughs> no, yeah, I think there was, there, there was something going on at the La Brea Tar Pit. Well, Am- that happened at the volcano. Okay, I think there was steam coming out of oh, MacArthur Park. That's right. It's, and then the volcano you know, came out of the La Brea Tar Pit. And, and we have to remind our, our viewers who haven't seen the fantastically bad movie, Volcano from the 90s, about a volcano growing out of Los Angeles. All takes place on Wilshire, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Like, a, like right. a straight line between like... <laughs> between MacArthur Park. MacArthur, <laughs> it's like MacArthur Park <laughs> leading all the way to the ocean along Wilshire yeah. the entire way. It's pretty great. <laughs> oh, it was a tax break to film on Wilshire <laughs> at the time. They had tore everything up to make the red line. So they're like, since everything... <laughs> out. Let's just go ahead and make a, a movie. So he partnered with Canfield and found a cheap property on the outskirts of downtown LA since they couldn't afford to lease anything in Westlake Park, which is, seems to be the problem now. The spot they leased was in Echo Park off Glendale Boulevard at Colton Street and Patton Street, in particular 1419 Colton Street, which is where I would go for the Echo Park indoor swimming pool. Huh. And it's Which was fu- just tar. Which was just tar. I swim in it. It's funny to think that at this spot, they had dug into the earth for oil. I wonder if once the oil was all done, they're like, we'll just fill it with chlorine yeah. water now. <laughs> just go swimming. I don't care. Even if there's still tar in it, who, yeah, cares? who cares? Let's let the kids play. It's Echo Park. That, is that the one near Echo Park Lake? It's walkable distance. It's closer to like Leo's Tacos, oh, okay. like Glendale and Temple. It's, okay. Oh, it's, oh, okay. I know where it, that if is. You're, if, I don't know if me and Edric ever took you to Bernie's Jr., but it's closer to Bernie's Jr. I don't go to your socialist <laughs> restaurants. Always trying to Bernie pill me. We we barter there. Uh, it's <laughs> a bartering system. They don't take money. They take hugs. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have a, a copy of the Communist Manifesto, we, we keep getting ours stolen. So we just leave it in the we, no, we library, keep which ours, is for everybody. We keep getting our shared. Shared, <laughs> our not shared, stolen. Yes. We, yeah. Someone shares it for longer than usual. So there. Okay. So there. So there. Anyways, it's funny thinking that growing up, I thought Echo Park was only famous for... Mi Vida Loca. <laughs> Mi Vida Loca, the gangs, 
the hillside strangler leaving a body and now as an adult max senate was around the corner right which was comedy oil which was comedy oil a lot of three stooges were shot along the road they down to the Park lake yeah or they were killed around there <laughs> uh, and oil uh, edward doheny strikes oil yeah not very far away that's from weird. where i'm at that's what happens when you don't teach your kids history <laughs> this is what happens when you don't force your kids to listen to la meekly yeah Anyways, Doheny and Kenfield used their skills as miners to seek oil from saturated ground. It took them 38 days of using hand tools. Now he had to get his hands dirty. He couldn't just like, I'm a prospector. Right. Like now he has to like, he was digging with a shovel and Kenfield was moving debris with a windlass. Before they a what? Uh, on a windlass, it's like a, it's got, I don't know. Is this a tool in Zelda also? I yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to trade a key for it. Um, <laughs> you don't know anything about it. <laughs> You don't, you don't trade anything where you'll give a key up. You might give a spirit orb, okay? <laughs> or some Deku nuts. Did he have Deku nuts? We never give a key away. You never give a key away. He made a double. There might be a Cocorico inside. <laughs> no, not a co- uh, I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> the person that's going to correct you is not in this room right now. <laughs> They're all listening. I said Link. That's the deepest knowledge of Zelda. <laughs> Metroid's in the game. It's Lady yeah. 2, right? I mean, how many Yoshis does it take <laughs> to defeat Ganon? I've been playing... Zelda. Anyway, <laughs> you're a giant dork. So they struck oil 155 feet deep into the earth. This was November. Imagine digging. I mean, with a shovel. Yeah, and a windlass. A windlass. Uh, but yeah. ima- like trying to dig a hole at the beach. Like I oh, could yeah. get like three feet down. I'm like, boy, oh boy. This is my arms are tired. My, my arms, arms are tired. tired. I must boy, have just flown in. Tired. I think I'm gonna hit the crust of the earth soon. I'm three feet deep in the. <laughs> I in think Venice Beach. I think I can hear a Bruce Lee movie. <laughs> I think I hear the sunrising on the other side <laughs> it's just someone's dvd player that they that fell into the sand yeah so they 155 feet deep in the earth november of 1892 once they struck it they began pumping out seven barrels a day by hand at this point canfield wasn't really convinced that oil was the future and bailed out after digging like 155 feet deep with his pal was like this is stupid i'm gonna go back to mining silver in the mountains seven barrels seven barrels boring it's weird that the like it what because i kept thinking like there must be a standard size of barrel because everything is described as this bar- many a unit a of measurement right. yeah um, <laughs> it's like box size uh, yeah a king's barrel it's the length of it's what one king would wear if you were deposed well 15 shoeboxes equals one barrel but one liquid <laughs> yeah. barrel how many stones is it <laughs> can i trade my key for it <laughs> You don't trade a key. <laughs> I need a Deku nut. <laughs> I like to kick Link in his Deku nuts. Um, something, something. Ha ha ha. Are you? Anyways, Canfield leaves. Doheny partners with you, some you new. You Goron. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> Canfield leaves. Doheny teams up with some new partners. They drill thirty feet deeper and hit a point where they had a good amount of oil flow. This is considered to be the first successful oil strike in Los Angeles with successful, obviously. Uh, there was one in New Hall. Um, successful meaning like the entire city changes after this one. Yeah, well, it did start oh, well. a brush, but... Um, you know, uh, you well, know. that was... Uh, that guy doesn't have a good American name. Yeah, His name doesn't is Pico. Pico. Andres Pico. How do you even Pico. spell that? How many letters are in it? No. I know how to spell that. D-U-I-E-A. I need a good American name from Ireland. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, not one that's been in this country for 300 <laughs> years already. 1892, like they like the Irish. Yeah. <laughs> They're loving them. From the book Oil Bear in the Southwest from Martin Ansel, which I read for research, he said, 
Doheny was not the first person to extract oil in the city, and he was not certainly mm-hmm. not the first person to experiment with petroleum mm-hmm. he found out near Westlake Park, but he was the first person who managed successfully to promote its use at the precise moment that the railroads and other industries recognized oil as a viable fuel. Uh, uh, we bring it back once again to you don't want to be the, you either want to be the first or the third. The yeah. first people were like the Native Americans. Yeah. The second person was Andres Pico. Yeah. The third person who was like, okay, I can commercialize this is Edward Doheny. Yeah. But also, like it's a lot of right place at the right time. Like if the railroads weren't ready for it, I don't think it would have been as successful. Right. Like the railroads had to develop at a speed to line up perfectly with And cars were not too far away. Yeah, exactly. They weren't too far away. So this was like the right time. (laughs) And they're coming at you very slowly and you're still (laughs) going to get hit by it because you don't know what to do. Because reading about his first... Oh, I'll get into it. But he kind of pumped out more than what he can give away because... It right. was like being used for machines at the time before yeah. like railroads are like, um, what are you doing with that? <laughs> Steam. No, no, no. We're doing fine with coal. It'll last forever. The first <laughs> just like oil. Yeah, just like oil. Iraq war was all about coal uh, freedom. It wasn't about <laughs> anything else. The f- we needed their steam. Yeah, we- <laughs> <laughs> this is all about steam. No blood for steam. Uh, this first strike was part of a larger well later to be known as a Los Angeles City oil field. And it's believed to have run from Hoover to just below Dodger Stadium. So it was a pretty big chunk of land. Where's Hoover? Hoover, if I understand correctly, is just around Alvarado. So it's Alvarado is the big street that runs through Echo Park. Hoover runs alongside it. So I imagine okay. Hoover's just over the hill if they're talking about the Hoover that I know. All right. But Hoover starts around. Not the Hoover I know. That guy does not like stuff. Um. Anyways, within the same year, word had gotten out about the oil near the well and nine other oil drill operations started up in the surrounding area. Doheny and his partner, Henry Ailman, had two of them. Technology was advancing and making it easier to drill for oil, but even then the problems were twofold. None of these initial wells were producing very much oil, and at the time there was no market for oil. Only a few companies were at a stage of using fuel oil. Doheny was almost stuck with barrels of immovable oil, but luckily a fertilizer plant was looking for heavy oil for their machines. So from there, Doheny continued to push forward and take every win he could scrounge up and use it towards a bigger win, selling oil to factories and using the money to buy bigger pieces of land to drill oil, continually hitting jackpots that way. Businessman. Businessman. That's the singing waiter and him coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He knows how to get a tip. <laughs> this oil man really knows how to work a tip. Hello, my money. Hello. <laughs> they don't want to hear the Beatles. They have longer hair. They want to hear the kinks. Oh, they have too long hair. They want to hear a Black Sabbath song. <laughs> That's how you get a tip. They want to hear a Black Eyed Peas song before the show <laughs> starts. That's what I thought. I don't know how to work a tip. <laughs> by this point, the sunny picturesque views of California, of Los Angeles were being ruined by these black steel oil derricks. While most industries in Los Angeles by the turn of the century were still... They, I feel like 1890s, a lot of stuff was still kind of pastoral, but maybe I'm wrong about that. But this felt like the oh, first... This felt like the first big, ugly, modern industry thing that happens to Los Angeles. Right. I might be wrong about that. I mean, I can't think of what else. I mean, what is uglier? I mean, mining. Well, this is mining in a way, but like... But mining would happen happen. underground for everyone to look out and see. Like, there's palm trees, but there's also oil derricks. And now the sky is... But also, there wasn't mining going on in Los Angeles, unless you consider this. But like, like, what is uglier of an industry than oil? And I can't think of one. I, I maybe think the singing waiter com- maybe the singing industrial waiter complex yeah because everything else seems to happen indoors like you know newspaper plants and all those big heavy machines that's yeah. all in a big building and the building's beautiful like I'm trying to think of I mean the railroads were something to look at at least and ride so like I don't know I feel like oil derricks serve no purpose for the regular person they're just kind of gross and they they stick out like a sword thumb like I had a photo the first photo I used was 
Huntington Beach, you know, the coastline, yeah, but like there's just oil derrick signing it now. Like the postcard's gone. It really is a blight on yeah. the planet. <laughs> yeah, it is a blight on the planet. We shouldn't be we shouldn't be drinking the blood of the planet, but whatever, it's fine. It's too late now. Tragedy hit Doheny in December of that year, 1892, like months after like striking the first oil well. His daughter, Eileen, who's sick her whole life, dies due to complications due to rheumatic fever. The next year, as the still grieving parents, they welcome their son, Edward Jr., as they call him Ned. In 1899, Daddy Doheny started chatting it up with a telephone operator at his company, a woman who had the same name as his wife. Her name was Carrie. So he started calling this new Carrie Estelle, which was her middle name. So I, I don't really, I, what I read, it wasn't clear if they were canoodling hanky-panky, having an affair. But later that year, Edward and his wife-wife get a divorce after years of dealing with a rocky relationship. Custody of six-year-old Ned was awarded to Edward, and his wife, Carrie, was so distraught that she killed herself the next year. So not long after that, Edward would marry the new Carrie, Estelle, and she would raise Ned as her own son. This is a man, like I said before, no sympathy. I mean, not, I have a lot of sympathy for him losing a daughter. You push your wife away. It's very sad that she killed herself. But also, like, thinking about how many people in his family up to this point had already died and had gone and now right. starting a new family with a new now son. Now I'm starting to wonder, did he push the other parts of his family away? Like he, yeah. I, I found a new mom and dad yeah. on the phone line. Yeah, on the phone line, I found a new mom and dad and I'm fine. 1-800-MOMMY. It's not 1-800-MOMMY. You ask Sarah to connect you to 19-M-O-M-M-Y. Sarah, can you connect me with pound cake mommy? Right away, sir. <laughs> oh, Sarah, oh, I like Sarah. the way you say that. Yeah. Do you want to be my mommy? <laughs> I uh, was watching something with Helen Mirren in the 80s, and I like Helen Mirren, and I called her girlfriend mommy. And as soon as I said it out loud, I'm like, oh, damn it. <laughs> so this was either 1900 or 1901, the year that Doheny had become a millionaire. By this time, he had 19 of the 155 oil wells in the city, and his companies could pump out 350 barrels a day. His closest competitor could only do half of that. So he's like leaps and bounds ahead of a lot of people. After success in LA in May of 1900, Canfield and Doheny ventured together along the Mexican Central Railroad prospecting for oil. They found it near Tampico, Mexico, and it was so abundant in oil deposits that they bought 400,000 acres of land and paid upwards of a million dollars building a pipeline before they even knew... If it was worth building a pipeline. Yeah, if like there might have been only been a little bit, Mm -hmm. but they built a pipeline being like, there's so much oil here. (laughs) Luckily, there was, you know, and it turns out that Cassiano Field, which they just bought, is remembered as one of those prosperous oil wells of all time. Mm-hmm. I think he planted it. I think he, he probably planted it. He, he spit just, it out. Like he, he Shawshanked that. Just like the, uh, just like these evolutionists planting those dinosaur bones in Cabazon. <laughs> trying to, <laughs> trying to fool everybody. I, we all know that dinosaurs and people were around at the same time. Yeah. Singing at restaurants yeah. together. They pumped out from this Cassiano oil field. They pumped out 70,000 barrels of oil a day and it produced right. enough oil for the partners to pump for nine years. When it was all done, it had produced 800,000 barrels of oil. A lot of wild. I mean, I assume that's a lot of oil. How many barrels do I go through a day? Like, like little barrels? 30, 40, yeah. Yeah, yeah, many barrels. Doheny and company went on to strike wells in New Mexico and Peru and expanded his land in Mexico, buying up 1.6 million acres of it for industrial development. I read somewhere, I don't know how accurate this was, that he was kind of responsible for a lot of Mexico developing because areas of industry were, were building up near his oil wells because it had mm. needed so much Boom workers. Towns. Boom towns, yeah. But I know that, you know, he had one of the largest fleets of oil tankers in the world by this point. He was so rich. 
that during the Mexican Revolution of 1910, Doheny was able to afford a private army to protect the oil wells, which shows you what side of the Mexican Revolution he was on in the hey, war uh, of the poor people versus, versus the rich oil. people. <laughs> I also read somewhere that he like really benefited from the early days of the Mexican Revolution because there was so much confusion happening that he was sort of like, I don't know how much land that like he was like <laughs> kind of I don't I don't really understand <laughs> how, but I know that he certainly benefited from the confusion of the revolution. Mm. Weird. Rich people benefiting from war. How is that possible? A social a war of the classes? <laughs> it's Class almost warfare? like it was engineered by them yeah, it's very so sh- that they could benefit. Very strange. <laughs> by 1919, Doheny had drilled thousands of wells and controlled many oil companies fit to handle production, most of which by this point were consolidated into the Pan American Petroleum Company. It was now 1920. Pan Am. Pan Am. It owns the sky too. There's oil in the sky. <laughs> it's, it's cloud oil. Yeah. <laughs> Suck that cloud dry. The darker ones is where the oil is. It was now 1920, and Doheny was one of the wealthiest men in America, with a fortune estimated at the time at $150 million, which now is $2.2 billion he could buy and ruin Twitter. Um, by <laughs> like, 19- like that. Like that. <laughs> and he would bring a sink to the first meeting, and people would be like, this is going to die, isn't it? <laughs> by 1925, Doheny would be richer than John D. Rockefeller, who was alive at the time and probably did not like that news. But Rockefeller would take his kids to the Bob Baker thing, and it would be okay. And they're like, oh, life as a poor person is great. He'd, oh, yeah, he did, didn't he? Yeah. The well, Rockefeller he had, kids. He, yeah, he brought Bob Baker to entertain the kids. So he also transcended into legend of villain territory when he became the enemy slash fictionalized subject of... I like the enemy. Uh-huh. My wife. My wife. My wife. My wife. My wife. Just Peanuts. flew in. Airplane food. Airplane food. Dating is hard. In Los dating Angeles. In Los Angeles in particular. Dating. <laughs> More than other places. It's particularly hard. Everyone is shallow here. I've talked to eight people. That's it. I only stay on my block. Um, yeah, he became a villain of Upton Sinclair, who, who was a, you know, that's how you become right. a true villain of history is when Upton if, Sinclair hates you. If you got on his bad side. If you, yeah. If you work for the meat industry or you <laughs> or you did drill for oil, you get remembered forever as being a bad guy. As of the Upton people. Sinclair's yeah. worst enemy. enemy. Yeah. Upton Sinclair was running for governor or mayor. Am I, I remembering correctly? Governor. Like a, he was like the Bernie. The Bernie he was Bernie. The yeah. I mean, that's what the movie Mank is about him running and Mank taking his side. And then you watch. Yeah. As a bunch of wealthy old rich guys crush right. that by lying to everybody. And it's never happened again. Bernie Sanders should write more books. You're right. Just start a podcast. <laughs> the Upton Sinclair podcast. Um, <laughs> What's Upton? <laughs> Wait a minute. Is Upton Sinclair Sinclair Oil? Oh my God. The Teapot oh, Dome scandal. <laughs> the Teapot Dome scandal, everybody. So Upton Sinclair wrote Oil partly based on Doheny and the Teapot Dome scandal. Also, oil was what Paul Thomas Anderson read when he was getting ready to write right. There Will Be Blood. So Daniel Plainview is a version of Edward Doheny. Have you read that? No, I want to read more Upton Sinclair. I don't Sinclair. want to do too. I've never read. I didn't read The Jungle. The Jungle. The Jungle. Which, where's the uh, typical Daniel answer? Where's the, where's the trees? Where's, where's the, the panthers? Lions? Yeah, where's the lions? Where's the panthers? <laughs> this is a Tarzan story. I can feel it in my bones. Like 350 pages in, I think he's getting ready to buy tickets to Africa. <laughs> I remember somebody, my friend Scott in high school was very much about the jungle. And I, he was like, you got to read it. It's gross. And I, I remember getting it from the library and then never reading it. And I regret that. because I, Yeah, I, I, I was assigned it in some class in college. And I was like, I'm going to read the jungle. Yeah. And I never touched yeah, it. Yeah, you never touched it. I love when people talk about it. My, like, like many of my favorite books. I like it more when pe- smart people talk about right. it. But me sitting to read Huckleberry Finn is quite hard. <laughs> yeah, the hard to read book Huckleberry Finn. It's hard. He talks funny. <laughs> He speaks with a southern accent. Take no way. I'm going to do that. Wait, who is this kid? Uh, just left school. Where did he learn his diction? 
great book. Um, one of the best writers that we've ever made. <laughs> We're now going to talk about the Teapot Dome scandal, which sounds so much more grand than what it is, which is just bribing the U.S. government for land. That's it. That's another song he would sing as a singing waiter. I'm a yeah, little teapot. teapot don't sure. look into it. <laughs> he was a singing waiter for fun for his whole life. Here is my handle. Here's a bag of cash. <laughs> <laughs> here is my handle here is my bribe <laughs> one of these two guys oh, I lost it um, <laughs> something about one of these two guys is gonna die and will it be my son <laughs> be my get oh wait wrong wrong teapot <laughs> so Doheny wanted to curry favor with the federal government to get rights to drill for oil in two counties one was Curtin County and Elk Hills the other was Buena Vista Hills near Bakersfield this land was owned by the US Navy and this contract would allow him to supply oil to the military in Pearl Harbor and I keep, it's funny that Pearl Harbor had such a stain on it that every time Literally. you see it you're like oh but it's <laughs> it was a place yeah. well, I wonder if the, well I guess he didn't get the or the contract oh he did but then he lost did. it yeah but no no that, he got the well, yeah go ahead but, but did he st- I'm, I'm wondering is the oil that was exploding in Pearl Harbor was that Doheny oil that's crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Uh, it was. I'll get into it, but uh, there was a so oil pump from Los Angeles was blowing up, blowing and up Harbor. and burning soldiers' skins off when it would hit. Yeah, Daniel, it was Doheny <laughs> oil. This is Doheny brand oil burning my skin off. Um, you're a pig. That's what the Japanese soldiers were saying as they flew by. Wow, Doheny, Ooh, Doheny oil. Wow, burns faster than most. Um, <laughs> could we get you on record saying that? Yeah, let me just land this thing. No landing. Let me just land it really fast. They taught us how to fly. That crash course Uh was real fast. They even bothered telling us how to land it. Uh, They put the crash in crash course. (laughs) It was their choice to crash. (laughs) So we can make fun of them. Yeah, they didn't feel pain because they were so high on meth. Were they? They They're high on something. Wasn't that Nazis? Both. Oh, both of them. I mean, it was the same time, so they could have shared. They, right. they had the same source. They had right. the same dealer. <laughs> same Their same dealer. dealer was somewhere in Russia. I don't know. <laughs> well, I guess Russia wouldn't have helped them. Yeah, the company. No, Italy. Italy. Italy, was, Italy yeah. yeah. The halfway point. Uh, and this is halfway officially. So both of us, this is a fair walk for both of us. I guess it's not halfway. It's closer to Germany. Yeah, but don't. <laughs> So Doheny, he wants to buy this federal land to drill for oil. He sends his son Ned and his personal chauffeur. Theodore Hugh Plunkett to Washington Hotel in Washington Hotel, D.C. I thought I erased that. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, you did. I put it back in, <laughs> in your files. I, I really do have a memory of being like, I'm not going to say that to him so you can get the credit. I hope you left the other thing I put in there. Washington Hotel in Washington Hotel, D.C. That's what you sound like. Uh, I'm so clever. I'm going to punch you. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he sends the two friends, and they're only friends. He sends these two <laughs> friends. They're, they're really good pals and roommates, <laughs> and they're only friends. Uh, he sends them. They have a they have a website called Only Friends. Um, <laughs> to hand deliver a briefcase full of ten thousand dollars cash to the Secretary of Interior Albert Bacon Fall to quote unquote convince him to give them the contract. In 1924, this scandal broke and was one of the key events of what became known as the Teapot Dome scandal. Why is it called the Teapot Dome scandal? Well, uh, yeah, why is it? Hey. Um, how come? The other man involved in this scandal was Harry F. Sinclair of oh, Sinclair. You skipped over Dino. the joke I wrote in it. Okay. No, it's in here somewhere. Oh, okay, good. Another man who tried to do a similar thing was Harry F. Sinclair of Sinclair Dino Oil. It's the Sinclair Oil has the dinosaur out front, right? Mm-hmm. Upton Sinclair Dino Oil. Yeah, that's uh, their brothers. Um, <laughs> he had a similar deal with Albert Bacon Fall for land in Teapot Dome, Wyoming, which is where the name comes from. It's not just a name meant to confuse Daniel in high school. Um, mm, that's not. That's not the joke I wrote. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, <laughs> the joke I wrote was really funny. Do you want to say have it? to listen to the live episode. Yeah, where I could stumble over it there. Yeah. <laughs> Doheny, Ned, and Plunkett were all indicted, but were eventually acquitted of any charges because rich people. The only one to face any consequences was Albert Bacon Fall, who took the rap 
for oh, it. Oh, come on. There's took another. took the bacon full. Thank you. He took woo, the bacon full. <laughs> That's a Daniel line. <laughs> it's like when you can hear a Beatles song and know who wrote it. Right. This sounds like Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie reference. Uh, uh, it's a Criterion movie reference, so Greg must have. It's a great yeah. joke. It's a Back to the Future <laughs> reference. It's a Daniel joke. <laughs> this one's for the plebs. Yeah. This one's for the snobs. According to the Ventura... We're real snobs and slobs podcast. <laughs> According to the Ventura County Historical Society, who put out a memorial issue for the Dohenies, which is really just a puff piece, there are claims that Doheny was innocent of the Teapot Dome bribery because he was never connected to those leases that they were accused of bribing for. He wasn't trying to buy government land to drill... Instead, he was actively trying to be the supplier of oil for the Navy. He built, you know, the Pearl Harbor oil storage depot with his own money. When, like we were talking about, when the base was attacked, it was uh, Doheny's oil in the tankers. They say this was the actual. That's so crazy. They're basically saying that it was a fair deal. He just got caught up with Sinclair and he was another right. oil man. But then right. again, where does the bag of cash fall into all of right. this? Right. Okay, bag puff of, piece. Yeah. Okay, puff <laughs> piece. Try to account for the, you know, the bag of oil and two dead men. Right. Well, the two dead men was a, that was a different thing. It could have been. It was a different thing, uh, indirectly caused by the <laughs> bag of cash. <laughs> the bag of cash, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Ohini returned to LA and was greeted by 400 supporters and the mayor who called him a quote-unquote great American patriot. So brave for being I, I trying know. to bribe the government's right. hero. To fly that close to the sun, <laughs> and yet so far from your own sun. But <laughs> that's so... I don't know because when I when I read that part about like yeah. he, he was greeted by the mayor as a yeah. hero, like I, I keep thinking about like Donald Trump and all these people who are like, oh, you defrauded the IRS. Yeah, you're a hero. You're American, you are my you president. Are American president. And I keep thinking like, oh, well, that's like a modern thing of trying to cheat the government. And then I remembered, no, no, it's no. a forever thing. <laughs> it's a, I want to say even a, a forefathers <laughs> thing. <laughs> Nevertheless, this scandal ate away at Doheny, who was now in his late 60s. And by 1925, he started to slow down and centralize his holdings. He created the role of vice president and general manager for his son. Ned was on his way to the top at this point. He married the daughter of an executive of the Santa Fe Railroad, the daughter of one of the executives, when he was 20, and attended USC around the same time where he earned a degree in business. And then later, he was elected to the Board of Trustees and was the president of the Alumni Association. He had a lot going on for him. He served as a lieutenant in the U.S. Navy during World War I, and he ended up joining the family oil business as a company vice president, which is how he got caught up in the whole Teapot Dome scandal. It's a classic Nepo baby. You know, famous for being famous. A real Kardashian of the day, as I said in the live show, but not Kim, like Chloe, or like a, a Kendall Jenner type. Or like uh, the drummer from Blink-182. Like the drummer from Blink-182, like like a hanger-on. My favorite Kardashian. Is the drummer from Blink-182. Tom Green, or whatever his name is. Travis Barker. Travis Barker. It could have been Pete Davidson. It was uh, For you, sure. For you, I bet it was Kanye West for a while. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a what do you mean? Point. What do you mean for a while? <laughs> You're saying it in past tense. In past How come? What did he? What has he said now? Did he say something about Catholics? Because <laughs> I won't stand for that. <laughs> From the trial, Edward Doheny was acquitted for the bribery charge, but was ordered by the courts to repay $47 million in settlements, taxes, and penalties. I remind you that- It's a $10,000 bribe. Yeah, $10,000 bribe. And also, he had like 20 years earlier, had $2.2 billion, and it's right. only gone up since then. So $47 million is like, give me $5 out of your wallet, <laughs> of which you have $100. Like, it's <laughs> like nothing. But he was drowning in lawsuits by stockholders and his companies and became a reclusive invalid at his house at 8 Chester Place near USC for the last three years of his life, which end in September of 1935. This is Father Doheny. Father Doheny, yeah. Right. One of the biggest titans of industry in Los Angeles died with two stains of scandal as his name. 
the Teapot Dome scandal, and the double murder of Ned Doheny and chauffeur Hugh Plunkett, which they talked about in LA Not So Confidential. We also talked about it as well. Yeah, you can listen to our Greystone Mansion haunted episode, I believe that was from. Yeah. And also when we release the live episode, you can hear more about the Ned story. Yeah, and the Plunkett story. Um, This man forever changed the course of LA history. And it's weird because it was going to be somebody. Like, he was the first person who knew what to do with it, but he wasn't the only one out there. But because it was him, Los Angeles history happened this way, like the way that it happened in our lifetime. And not the multiverse. In our lifetime, in the 1910s. In the 1910s, yeah. He's one of those people that... He really is up there with Mulholland and... and Chandler and... Uh, and Griffith, Jake Griffith. Yeah, Griffith, Jake Griffith, Griffith is another one. William Parker is another one of those people that, like, history in Los Angeles is completely different after this one police chief took over. Right. I'm trying to think of who the other people are that are on the mountain. There's certainly more. Uh, and they're not all white men. Like I'm sure, the like Romanov guy, Romanov guy. Yeah, I'm sure, like the the uh, the, P- P- Pico, the Picos, the Picos, the Sepulvedas. The Sepulvedas, you're right. Um, which are still white people. <laughs> they're still white people. They're still more European. Well, partially, than, some of them are yeah. less white than others. Sure, yeah. But yeah, he's one of those people that just like their stamp is on Los Angeles forever because right. of you know one guy found oil and knew exactly what to do with it, and now we're here. We're, Lancashire, Lancashire's another one. Yeah, another white guy. <laughs> another white guy. Yeah. Isaac Newton Van Eyes. Um, serious of white guys <laughs> yeah every street is named after a white guy in los right. angeles that probably should have their face on some kind of do not serve list do not serve yeah <laughs> 86 from every bar in the valley so that's doheny yeah that and that's doheny <laughs> and baby that's doheny for you he eats up a lot of the much like his clients at the singing waiter restaurant yeah. he eats up most of the story of oil in los angeles yes. but there are other oil fields that he was not really a part of. Like, I don't think he was drilling in the ones. Yeah, he wasn't the sole. No, it wasn't just him. There was a lot of a lot of different it's drilling funny going on. When you come across somebody who you're kind of familiar with, and you're like, "Oh, he was an oil man." Like, I know. Like, I'm sure you can talk about Gilmore. Gilmore. We t- we've talked a little bit about Gilmore in the past, but not in it when we were talking about Gilmore Stadium and that sort yeah. of thing. But let, not to be crude. But I'm going to tell you about some of the most important oil fields we haven't covered yet in the past. So in all, there are 68 oil fields within the L.A. basin. Okay. So in this general area underground, there are 68 different distinct oil fields with 10 of those considered highly productive with capacities of over a billion barrels that you could get out of them, making L.A. the most prolific petroleum basin in the world on an an oil to sediment ratio, however you want to take that. I mean, we have, I don't know about other places, but we have it bubbling from the ground, so it makes it kind of easy. (laughs) Is there a Saudi Arabia tar pit? (laughs) I don't think so. I guess it would still be the La Brea, although in Arabic. Yeah. The whatever, the all whatever tar pit. I guess it would all be in Arabic. Anyway, so (laughs) one of these places is the place that creates the titular Brea of the La Brea tar pits in English Mm -hmm. and Spanish. And it's officially known. So where the La Brea tar pits is, that's the Salt Lake oil field. That's where it's coming from. It rests 600 feet underground and stretches roughly from Wilshire on the south, Highland on the east, Beverly on the north, and San Vicente on the west. So this is a It's a very big area. It's not even the biggest, but this is a very big area that includes the La Brea Tar Pits, obviously, LACMA, the Peterson, the Academy Museum, Park La Brea, the Beverly Center, Pan Pacific Park, and of course, the Grove and Farmer's Market, which is where this all began for this oil field. Are you going to talk about the hidden oil, Derek? A little bit. There's a lot of them around town, but there's one in particular near there. That's pretty cool. We might be thinking of different ones that I don't even know about. Yeah. 
hang on. We lift up a pillow. Yeah. Hidden oil, oil Derek. Derek. How'd you get here? <laughs> I just wanted to fit in. Squirt, squirt. <laughs> so. Oil, Derek, you're looking so handsome. <laughs> oil, Derek, have you been watching me shower? <laughs> squirt, squirt. Um, so in the late 1800s, early 1900s, this area around the Grove and the the, uh, the Grove, the Eternal Grove. Yeah. Around uh, not Rick Astley. What's his name? The guy who was wanted to be mayor, but he's horrible and he lost. Oh, um, oh Rick God. Caruso. Caruso. Not Rick Astley. So in the. <laughs> I almost said Rick Fox. <laughs> Than somebody else altogether. In the late 1800s, early 1900s, this area was owned by a dairy farmer named Arthur F. Gilmore, right. who clampeted hard one day when he was drilling for a water well on his land and outgushed water for cars instead <laughs> around the turn of the century. So around the year 1900, he struck oil on this land. Yeah. And he's quickly like milk. Milk, <laughs> milk, uh, <laughs> lemonade. Around the corner, oil's made. <laughs> I gotta go to the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I've been crapping oil for a month now. This well I dug is a little polluted. Yeah. You haven't been drinking out of your lemonade well. <laughs> so pivoted away from milk and into milk for cars and formed the AF Gilmore Company to start harvesting his newfound money milk. Um, he, I just kept, uh, I kept making everything into milk. Yeah, you do that. That's what I do. I spin milk into gold. Yeah. Uh, rumple milk skin. <laughs> Rumple milk guy, yeah. Rumple milk toast. Yeah, that's me. He also leased out parts of his land to other companies to drill, seemingly the first of which being the Salt Lake Oil Company, which is why this particular oil field is known as the Salt Lake Field. Okay. More and more companies started flocking to this patch of land, and more and more drilling started with its peak in 1908 when the Salt Lake Oil Field was producing 4.5 million barrels of oil a year. That's crazy. By 1916, there were 500 wells sticking out of an area I could have driven through in three minutes with the traffic of 1916. Like, it's not a huge area. Yeah. Like, it's a lot of land, but like, without traffic, like, you could yeah. throw, not throw, I mean, I can throw really far, but you could walk pretty easily from one end to the other. And for there to be 500 oil wells sticking I mean, out of this area. If you look at photos of that era, it's crazy. It's crazy how many oil derricks yeah. they are in such a small area. Right. Well, wait till we get to one of the other places I'm talking about where a lot of those pictures are from. It's like triplets inside of a fetus yeah or a womb womb yeah i know what you're talking about <laughs> i don't know about it i'm not a I woman don't. i don't know about bodies inside of bodies inside of bodies and babies come in yeah. where they come from but this boom came fast and quick because by the mid-1920s they had already sucked most of the oil the technology of the day allowed them to from the land so wells started being taken down even by then and houses and businesses were being put there instead yeah that is until around 1960 when technology advanced to the point where they could drill deeper but also sideways so even though there were now a bunch of people living in the fairfax area they could put a new well in one spot and drink the milkshakes right from underneath people's houses wow which people were not that happy about no 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 no, no that's my milkshake <laughs> a technology nobody could foresee any consequences of land started being leased to the Buttram Oil Company and all the oil people kept making money again which is what really mattered right until March 24th 1985 
oil drilling causes methane to be released, which wasn't a problem before in a huge open field. But by 1985, people lived in this area and most of the land was paved with concrete. Right. As a result, methane built up. Oh, my God. To a dangerous level. And the Ross Dress for Less on Fairfax exploded. Oh, my God. Really? (laughs) Miraculously, nobody died, but 21 people were injured and the Ross was completely destroyed. Grounds for a lawsuit? I got it at Ross. Um, that's very funny. That's their catchphrase. Um, I know what their catchphrase is. I'm sorry, uh, we don't all shop at Nordstrom. Kohl's. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a, an explosion at Ross. It happened to, it organized all the clothes. Yeah. <laughs> it put them back on it the shelves. back where it belongs. Back on the hangers. I like to walk into an, any Ross now. Like, whoa, did you guys get hit with that methane? <laughs> oh, this is just like a normally the way a Ross looks. Cool. Because of this, the whole area was labeled as a potential methane zone, which we're, potential. we're in one right now. There's like pieces of Ross still falling to the <laughs> to the ground there might be methane (laughs) this might be potentially hazardous is that a sweater vest (laughs) with with the area from the farmer's market to lacma being a high potential methane zone which (laughs) after 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 i eat dinner um to deal with it they set up ventilation wells to let these gases safely pollute the ozone layer but of course these wells weren't properly maintained so in 1989 on the street near park la brea methane mud and water came bursting out of the ground one day and forced 50 businesses to evacuate oh my god at the time mcfarland energy was leasing this land and after these incidents they no longer wanted anything to do with the area yeah so they were then replaced by texaco who kept it for a while until the returns became more and more diminished so they left and the grove was plopped on top of it. Okay. Rick Astley's the grove. Yeah, Rick Astley. But there is actually still a well hidden behind the Beverly Center which is why when you look on a map the Beverly Center is curved. That's because it was built to curve around an oil well Whoa, that really? was there. Is that the one you were talking about? No, there's one at there's the a lot. farmer's market that's built inside of a... It almost looks like... um the part of a windmill that isn't the windmill, like the part that holds the windmill. I think I've seen that, but is that, I didn't know that that was an oil well. Is it still working? I don't know. I don't (laughs) think so. I have a feeling that no. Oh, but there is one in the Apple store. There's one in the Apple store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the back room. You have to ask about it. But now we're going to head a little further south. So that's the Fairfax one. Uh All the way further south to Long Beach. Signal Hill. Uh, Yes, but also more. The Long Beach area has two of the most important oil fields in LA's oil history contained within it. But let's start with the titular Long Beach oil field, or as it was originally known, the Signal Hill oil field, because... I'm pretty smart. I read a thing once. (laughs) I'm pretty smart. I know where Long Beach is. (laughs) I heard a Snoop Dogg song. (laughs) So it was called the Signal Hill oil field because it was centered around the neighborhood now known as Signal Hill, which was known as Signal Hill because the Puva tribe used to go to the top of the giant hill there to send signals to others on land and out at sea. I didn't know that. Then the Spanish... Boot hold for booze. Uh, <laughs> the Spanish came and named it Loma Central, which was then translated to English as Signal Hill. Okay. Have you been on top of Signal Hill? Uh, yeah, I feel like I have before. Yeah, it's kind. Of, it's like a very. I mean, because we I went there for the the vi- our hit viral video. Yeah. But there's like a little park memorializing the oil stuff. But it's crazy. Like it's a good vantage point. Yeah, I, I sent so many signals on top. Uh, my text messages went through so clearly. <laughs> but when you drive through, it's you know it's a neighborhood and there's well 
kills still, like literally in people's backyards. Yeah. It's, it's really it's crazy. Wild, yeah. Oil drilling was first flirted with around the Signal Hill area around 1917 to no success. But then in 1921, the big boys gave it a shot. Shell. Oh, Shell. Oh, Shell. On March, shell, no. <laughs> on March 23rd, 1921, they started their Alamitos number one well. And a few months later on June 23rd, it gushed hard. <laughs> 114 feet into the air. And then the well caved in immediately. But by June 25th, it was up and running again and pumping out a thousand barrels a day from one well. Crazy. Which which is like, they like it to shoot up in the air. Like, how are you going like <laughs> going around with a bucket? Like, they want that I to happen? I think that's like an ex- exertion of how much... It's a wealth of riches. It's a wealth of riches. An embarrassment I, of riches. Thank you. I, I think that, you know, I, I've never thought of it that hard, but I wonder if it's um sort of... It's been... There's so much that it's like, it l- compounds l- and pressures out. So yeah, yeah, that's what's happening. But, yeah. like, why do they... What, like, you like that? Like... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I assume it's a meaning that there's a lot. So it's kind of like a person who has, like, a really loud muffler or like they're they're rolling coal like their car shooting out a yeah. bunch of exhaust like look at how powerful yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in there yeah, yeah i assume my name's andrew tate well it's it's crazy when you uh knock out a modern reference sometimes i'm like oh wow he actually was on twitter this week <laughs> yeah i looked at twitter this week so yeah. I, I i was allowed one reference yeah and what is a barbie movie um, <laughs> Was this a SpongeBob meme? <laughs> yeah. So th- the possibilities that this well hinted at caused yet another oil rush and had people flocking to the South Bay trying to get rich, which gave way to oil production that launched California's oil industry even higher than 114 feet into the air and into the stratosphere. Oh, Signal Hill became riddled, like we said, with so many oil wells, people started calling it Porcupine Hill. <laughs> Funny. You get it? Yeah. Do you, do you need me to explain? Because there's porcupines living up there. Do you want? <laughs> That's why. <laughs> they dug so deep that they hit the porcupine mine. Porcupine foundation. There were so many of them that some of them had their legs intertwined. Because like oh, there really? was, you know, it's like two trees growing on top of each other. Like yeah. there just was not enough space. There were so many oil wells. People were drilling underneath graveyards and giving parts of the profits to the families of the dead people. Wow. Within 10 months of that first gush... Signal Hill had 108 wells pulling up 14,000 barrels a day. And a year after that, there were almost 300 wells doing 260,000 barrels a day. And almost every single person who said, I'm going to go drilling for oil in Signal Hill, almost all of them made money because there was so much oil there. With the help of this oil field by 19, except like if we tried, like, I think I want to try making some money. Oh, we've had sugar. Yeah. (laughs) No. Porcupines. <laughs> With the help of this oil field by 1930, LA was producing almost a quarter of the world's oil. Wild. In Los Angeles. By 1938, the Long Beach oil field had produced 614 and a half million barrels of oil. And by 1980, it was over 900 million. In the mid 20th century, this was the highest oil producing field per acre in the world. In Signal Hill. In Signal Hill. In, in the Los stinky Angeles. old Los Angeles. So people are like, that's never going to be a city. That city has no history. Uh, the old porcupine, no. the old land of porcupines. But literally streets away from this oil field was yet another oil field. Oh my God. The Wilmington oil field. And this one was huge. It was first discovered in 1932. And we now know it is 13 miles long Whoa. and three miles wide, stretching all the way from Torrance to Seal Beach. 
That's uh, if you don't know, yeah. that's a distance right there. That's very how far. big is it? How big is she? This makes it the largest oil field in Los Angeles and the third largest in the lower 48 wow. of the United States, with an estimated total lifetime production of three billion barrels of oil. And by 1964, it actually became the first oil field in California to reach a billion wow. served. <laughs> they have a sign going. Yeah. 4,000 forests destroyed. <laughs> um, you can't read it because there's so much just like <laughs> methane gas and smog in the air. They're like, I think that's our numbers. But believe it or not, all this ugly sucking of the Earth's marrow took its toll. By the 1940s, all of this extraction around Long Beach was causing the ground to give in because of the lack of liquid that they were taking. Yes. They were sucking it all, so the ground was giving Like a way. cartoon. Right. Don't step on it. Yeah. It, it's like a booby trap. Yeah. In case the Japanese come. <laughs> Some areas saw their ground drop four feet oh in two God. years. And at its lowest point, the ground was 29 feet lower than it was before drilling started. This was causing, obviously, massive damage to buildings and to pipes. So to deal with this, they started doing water flooding, which is exactly what it sounds like. They just threw a bunch of water in there. They yeah. replaced the lost oil liquid with water liquid. And this actually fixed the problem by the 1960s. But once that was fixed, they had a new conundrum. The Sharks were in the water. <laughs> we forgot to extract the sharks. Now they're all coming up through the pipes in Long Beach. In 1964, California got the rights to offshore mineral reserves and the Wilmington oil field stretching out into the ocean all the way down to Seal Beach. That meant the sound of cha-ching was ringing loudly all across Long Beach. Since the 30s, Long Beach had arranged it so that the city of Long Beach got a nice cut of the profits from all this oil drilling. So with this new spread of ocean now open to them to make money, they immediately pounced on it and thus began a project to build a series of offshore drilling islands off the coast of Long Beach known as Project Thumbs. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Did a mafia member come up with that? Yeah, Jimmy names thumbs. He came up with it. Uh, careful, he'll name your thumbs. <laughs> Have you ever seen Thumb Wars? <laughs> yeah, I've ever seen Thumb Wars. Yeah. The Thumb Father? Yeah, the Thumb Father. I've seen ridiculous. all that junk. Uh, uh, well, this is. I, I like that you're like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> this is part of the Thumbs <laughs> Enterprise. Yeah. So it's named after the five companies, again, the mafia, the five companies not far off that they lease these rights to. Texaco, Humble, Union, Mobile, and Shell. Thumbs. But here was the problem for the forces of greed run rampant. People living in the area knew what oil drilling looked like, and they knew how it destroyed the beauty of an area, and they were not going to let one of the main draws of living in Long Beach be ruined, the view of the ocean. Yeah. For this reason, there was a beautification clause put into the deal with the Thumbs that stipulated that these new islands had to look nice. They have to put a... I know you're going to be a, a big piece of ugly metal sticking on the ocean. Let's put some street art on it. <laughs> Let's put a bow on yeah, top. Let's, okay, it's got to be a cool color. Yeah, could it have like cat ears and make it really cute? <laughs> uh, and we'll do it all Christmassy for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and a little Hanukkah too, I guess. I guess. I guess. What year is it? Okay, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> They went through a lot recently. So to come up with the designs for these islands, they hired Joseph Linish, who is the guy who also did Hershey Park, Bush Gardens, and Disneyland. Whoa, really? So the goal here clearly was to make them whimsical and amusement park-like yeah. to the average person looking at them from a quarter mile away on the shore. A uh, beautiful but unattainable. But, You're not welcome here. Like but. Disneyland in 2023. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful but unattainable. But Can't it, get there. 
for the oil barons, <laughs> for the descendants of the Shell Oil Company. Yes, like Disneyland. So it absolutely worked, this plan. The islands are about 10 to 12 acres, each made of sand dredged up from the bottom of the ocean and boulders from Catalina Island. They're bowl-shaped so the oil won't seep out into the ocean. The buildings are hid behind walls and they have waterfalls in them to muffle the sound of the derricks and the screaming workers. Yeah. And they're dramatically lit at night. So when you look at them from the shore, they really do look like little tropical resorts off the shore. And some people are like, they ask around, like, I want to stay there. How do I stay there? But you got to get a job with Exxon, pal. <laughs> well, they're hiring. Yeah. Do you like minimum wage? <laughs> but what, if you do, you can't afford to stay there. <laughs> but once you get on there, they're apparently very ugly and look like what they are, which is an oil rig. Well, how very Los Angeles. I know. It, it, it like is. A, it's like a movie set. Yeah. A beautiful thing set off the coast that right. you could look at at night. And behind it, it's just Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> But in terms of masking the ugliness of the oil industry, they're a huge success. They even won the Engineering Achievement of the Year Award in 1966 from the National Society of Professional Engineers. Wow. They're nicknamed the Astronaut Islands because they are named after four astronauts who died in the early years of space exploration, Grissom, White, Chaffee, and Freeman. So that's the names of the island. Yeah. They've brought in $4 billion to the city of Long Beach. And surprisingly, there haven't been any major pollution incidents on them aside from the usual destruction of nature that their very existence creates. They were actually supposed to become public parks after 35 years when the drilling was supposed to stop. But once the massive size of the Wilmington field became evident, obviously that never happened. But wait. There's still a chance. What? At the end of 2022, the LA City Council voted unanimously to ban new oil drilling Whoa. in Los Angeles and to slowly shut down at all oil drilling that remains active within 20 years to put them in line with California's plan to end all oil extraction in the state by 2045. Hell yeah. There are still 26 active oil fields in the Los Angeles area with over 5,000 wells pumping in the city of LA, many of them out in the open like you'll see in poorer neighborhoods but the ones in the rich neighborhoods have been hidden as part of aesthetic mitigation, like the one I talked about behind the Beverly Center and others that are like the one at the supposedly at the farmer's market. <laughs> uh -huh. Or there's some that are like fake office buildings yeah. and that's an oil well or a tower. Yeah. That's an oil well. Or this pillow that I'm looking at, that's an oil well. Me, I'm an oil I'm an oil, well. I'm a human oil well. This is a huge deal to get rid of an industry that has produced a ton of money, but also had devastating effects yep. on the poorer communities of our city and the planet at large. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, this plan is just for the city of LA. Long Beach, on the other hand, has no such plans and is actually expanding their oil no, production. Great. So the city of Long Beach has 2,762 oil wells within their city limits, with about half of those being off shore and 71% of them being active, producing 46,000 barrels a day, supplying 60% of the oil production in the United States God. is still coming from Long Beach. That's crazy. The Wilmington oil field is about 90% depleted, but there's still some 5 million barrels they can <laughs> suck out of there. And you can bet that at 11.59 p.m. December 31st, 2044, you're still going to hear oil derricks grinding and gushing yeah. in Long Beach until the very last second. Yeah. If people are making money from it, there's no way that... No, it's People who stop. like to see the sky are going to win. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the oil history of uh, Los Angeles. That's and it's a, a it's a big story. It's a gusher. It's a gusher. Uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal part of being part of Los Angeles's history because it was like the first industry, really, the first modern oil, industry aerospace, to, yeah. oranges. Yep, that's it. <laughs> movies. Oh, I forgot yeah. about movies. Yeah, that's the other. Sometimes one. there's movies about oil, and they're pretty good. Um, 
Yeah, and Doheny, like oil itself, is such a big thing. It's so intertwined in the development of the city. It's pretty cool. And, you know, the oil, Gilmore Field also is another, I mean, that's... Yeah, we've talked, like, I, I, th- I feel like we talked a little bit about not the oil part of Gilmore Field, but like when it was like, a, oh, in the baseball, baseball field, field, when yeah. it was a baseball field. Yeah. But yeah, the, the man, the, the transformation, just that patch of land has had from milk farm to oil derricks to baseball, baseball and there was like auto racing, racing yeah. and then expensive restaurants yeah. that I'm not going to eat at. And then the Apple store came and... And (laughs) And the American Girl doll store opens up and then closes devastatingly. Is it closed? Uh, I think they're... You tell me here, live on air, (laughs) that the American Girl store is closed? They're closing it and they're going to reopen somewhere else at the Grove, I believe. Or maybe the American Girl store. Yeah, An icon of Los Angeles history, the American Girl doll store. You can't have a sign of America if the American (laughs) doll store can't stay open. So before we get into our listener question at the end of the show, we want to give you one thing to do this month. And that one thing, we want more listener questions. Yeah. What? We want to not beg for it. Yeah. Don't make us, don't make me get on my knees. knees. My back is bad. My knees are bloody. Don't make me say, please ask me a question. But thank you very much to our writer of this question or everybody who wrote in once we did the call yesterday but let's say how you can send us a listener question la.meekly at gmail.com or instagram la underscore meekly we also have a website lameeklypodcast.com you can submit a question there and hopefully we we will see it we'll see it unless there's a glitch in the matrix in the matrix matrix. (laughs) unless I start seeing guys in suits walking by (laughs) me repeatedly then I will not answer your questions but yeah send us a listener question we want more yes so Okay, so this month's listener question. Yes. It's from our pal, Jordan. Jordan. Who from JPL. From JPL. He puts the J in JPL <laughs> and the P. He pees a lot. So And the L because... Later. <laughs> Bye. That's him. Jordan, he comes, he pees, later. <laughs> All right, this is his question. I've heard before that Pasadena used to be fairly anti-Semitic. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that. Well, Jordan, you like this? It's not a question, Jordan. Uh, why isn't it more like that? <laughs> um, well, can we change that fairly to very? So I've heard before that Pasadena used to be fairly anti-Semitic to the extent that there may even have been housing covenants prohibiting Jews from buying homes among multiple other minority groups. Anecdotally, that would explain why there's such a small Jewish population population and no Jewish food in the area. But in actuality, is that a myth or true story? Please tell me. I like that he wrote this of like, because he works at JPL and he's also Jewish. I believe he's Jewish, right? I don't know. I don't want to put, no, I don't want to out him as Jewish. (laughs) Out him. Yeah, I don't know. uh, I I take this as like, he just wants to get like pastrami sandwiches sent to him at JPL and he can't. And he can't. And he wants, there must have be a racist. (laughs) I got to reach mid Wilshire before anyone responds to me. (laughs) So I looked into this a little bit and obviously, yes, there's a racist past, but not as racist as you might think towards Jewish people, at least, in okay. Pasadena. The first Jewish people came to... They weren't kicked out till much later. Yeah. They, <laughs> they were tolerated at first. <laughs> so the first Jewish people came the year Pasadena was founded in 1874. This was Maurice and Mina Rosenbaum, who lived on Orange Grove Avenue and opened the city's first store, was by these two wow, Jew- really? this Jewish couple at Orange Grove in Colorado. It was also the first store to burn down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first protest. <laughs> in Pasadena happened shortly after. In the late 1800s boom of just the general area, more Jewish people came 
to Los Angeles in general and Pasadena included and started opening up more businesses. The first congregation was in 1907, but there wasn't really a permanent one until 1920. And then again, after World War II, more Jewish people started coming to Caltech and JPL and as that stuff was expanding. It's never been a huge population. In 1925, there were only 600 Jewish, or no, sorry, 60 Jewish families in all of Pasadena. So that's 120 people, give or take children. Sure. Pasadena definitely did have racist housing covenants. This is an awful quote that I read. This is not me talking. This is uh, Goebbels talking. Yeah. (laughs) Let me put on my Goebbels filter. Uh, so no person shall live upon said property at any time whose blood is not entirely that of the Caucasian race. Gross. But if any persons are kept thereon by such Caucasian occupants strictly in the capacity of servants. That's from the Pasadena Improvement Association. And that was from 2019. Okay. Pasadena Improvement Association's template for restrictive real estate, 1940. Oh. This is from the modern era. 1940, they were kind of going through some trouble at the moment. You can kind of help somebody out. But here's the thing. So 60% of the homes in Pasadena fell under those rules. But that mostly seems to have applied to black Latino. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it was only 60 per, only 60% of the city. That, yeah. Like, I'm sure Jewish people, if your neighbors knew, probably weren't happy about it. But I don't know if it was legally restricted because it right. does say Caucasian. So you can be Jewish and Caucasian. What's your it's, last name? Um, a, uh, America Bomb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> America Wits. Freedom Bird. <laughs> First name, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't know how much of this applied to Jewish people, definitely to black people, because there's the case of Fairchild versus Reigns that helped overturn the racial housing laws with the California Supreme Court. This was in regards to a black family living in Pasadena. Sure. But also there were black people in Pasadena since the beginning of Pasadena yeah. also. And the lawyer of that case then went on to represent Handy McDaniel in her fight Whoa, against really? racial housing covenants. This was Lauren Miller. In uh West West Adams. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't I can't tell if Jewish people were explicitly restricted but I think they were frowned upon but it's also it, that don't it, let us catch you being Jewish right <laughs> just don't do it pub don't do it yeah. flamboyantly Jewish I, I'm guessing that's like it's not yeah. a huge Jewish history there so I'm guessing that's why it's not like you know it's not like Fairfax or yeah. formerly Boyle Heights where it was like that's where Jewish people yeah. lived so I'm guessing, you know, 60 families aren't going to support a Jewish restaurant. Yeah. So that's why. <laughs> that's why you can't get your crap lock. Did we, did we did Jordan. an episode about... Uh, good luck, Jordan. Uh, <laughs> good, 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 luck, luck fi- good luck finding some hala anywhere near JPL. Chinese immigrants or Chinese uh, families? Here goes, here goes Greg about his Chinese immigrants again. Uh, how do I become one? Um, <laughs> no, I think they were... I think we did cover an episode about them getting kicked out of a South Pasadena... Oh yeah, yeah. That that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, sorry. I was just trying to recall South an Pasadena we did is, nine years ago is its own thing. Of, yeah, because it's a different city. I don't know. Like ostriches, yes. Jewish people, no. I don't know what the what they how what their stance was on it. Yeah, ra- I mean, most of the, most of the cities in L.A. were yeah. racist as hell. Um, yeah, especially because Pasadena is and always 
kind of has been more of a luxury upper class, like the people who didn't want to live in dirty downtown. Yeah. The richer people lived there. And that at the time was not Jewish people. Yeah. So there's your there's your answer, Jordan. Try to stump us next time. And just let you know, I have access to the internet. Okay, <laughs> so try a little harder next time. And just so you know, I will be reporting this question <laughs> to your bosses at JPL. Uh, a whole all stand just opens up the next week. <laughs> We saw, we didn't know that you wanted it. Sorry. Yeah, you think Halal is Jewish. Interesting. Um, <laughs> so, so that's been our oil episode. Go drink as much oil as you can yeah. find. Go into the ocean and wait till it flies all over you like a baby duckling. And let this episode be the dawn dishwashing soap <laughs> to get the oil off of your little feathers. And don't let it be a straw stuck in the turtle's throat. Is that the same thing? <laughs> yeah. That's a, we're talking about the pollution of the ocean, right? Uh, don't let this episode be the rings from a six pack of sodas <laughs> stuck around your shell that will have to grow around it. I can't wait for nature to retake. Just come get us, man. I can't wait for the forces of nature to unite against yeah. humanity. Which are just birds and fish. <laughs> that's all they have left. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, that's the oil. Another cornerstone sort of episode of Los Angeles's history. Mm-hmm. So enjoy your June. Enjoy the equal Equinox or whatever it is. Enjoy that's June gloom. See you wouldn't want to be ya. Smell you later. Uh, kiss my butt. I'm gonna beat you up. <laughs> Eat my shorts. <laughs> and that's been yet another episode of LA Meekly. Gushing barrels since 2013, which is 10 years ago. Yeah, it is. When we first gushed out of this, <laughs> it, when we first gushed out of the Pleistocene hibernation, ready we to in. party, yeah. microphones in hand, thinking. I'm going to make a million dollars with the podcast. <laughs> and we have what? A barrel's worth? Ba- barrel's worth. <laughs> we made a barrel's worth of podcast. Barrel's worth of Saudi money. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye.